Hey, Dave Meltzer here. On this week's episode of The Playbook, I have Ryan Serhant. Most of you know him from the Million Dollar Listing New York. It's very rare, but I got schooled in the lessons of sales by someone that I had no idea had such depth and knowledge about the best things to do in order to stimulate interest, transition interest, and share a vision. He also let me know how character, integrity, and empowerment comes from working hard. Join me for all of that and more on this week's The Playbook. This is Entrepreneur's The Playbook, where each week I bring you some of the greatest athletes, celebrities, and entrepreneurs to talk about their personal and professional playbook to success and what made them champions on the field and in the boardroom. I'm your host and CEO of Sports One Marketing, David Meltzer. I have a multifaceted Ryan Serhant here, uh, the multi-million dollar listing guy. But I, yes. I want to start with an interesting thing. Uh, I have three daughters and a little boy. And I taught one thing I, I taught my daughters was a line that said, keep, I'm going to keep my options open. Yes. And when I was reading about you, you know, both of our careers have unraveled. That's I just kept life. saying, yeah, it's yeah. your life, right? You always seem to, like, if I'm not incorrect, you started kind of as just a contractor and a roofer. Is that right? It kind of. I mean, you're too good sure. looking to be a roofer, by the way. Yeah. No, it was my my parents always made me do like manual labor, so we yeah. always had to work every summer when we were little kids, and so it started with general yard work, and then through college, it, uh, I worked for a company called Testa Building and Remodeling, and so I did like demolition and roofing and all that, and I just have this memory of just 80 pound bags of shingles on the shoulder, up and down ladders, taking the demo, ripping out kitchens, putting it. And what it really teaches you more than anything, other than exhausting you, is like you want to work your ass off so you never have to do another roof for the rest of your life. Um, but yeah, man, I, my whole life is based on just having said yes and figuring it out later, right? Because you never know. You just never know. Yeah. And, you know, when you're doing a job like that, because I've, you know, come from the same kind of Midwest work ethic, you know, that hardworking. Yeah. I always just try to find the silver lining in it. Like, you know, when I was in that, you know, terrible job, I I tell a story when I was in law school and it was a recession, I prayed to God that if he could give me a job with enough money to buy my mom a house and a car and pay off my law loans, that I'd shovel poo with my hands 12 hours a day for six days a week for that opportunity. That's where my perspective was. Did that, those types of manual labor jobs, while you're in it, did, were you aware enough to say, this is building character or, or perspective for me? Or were you just like, I hate my parents? <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I think it was probably 50-50. Like it was, it was good to be outside. Um, it was good to make some money, right? You really, for a, a big part of it was really learning the value of a dollar. Like what does $8 an hour get you, right? And I think at the beginning it was like 650, then I went up to 750. <laughs> Um, and eight bucks an hour and you really see like okay I work my ass off all day long and all week what do I really have to show for it and then what are taxes and so you learn about like that value of that dollar which I think that especially in New York it's hard for kids to really understand right And even if you have a job on the internet if you're getting paid for you know flipping little things here and there that's fine but like you don't know the value of a dollar until your hands have bled from making that dollar and I think that's the thing that I, I learned the most, not so much the, the building of character. I think at the time I was just resenting doing that kind of work, but yeah. like, I will never forget what it, what it took to make those eight bucks. 
an hour. Same way I never forget that first rental deal I did when I first got into the real estate business. Like that, that first client who ran me around for my 550 bucks because that was 50% of the $1,100 a month and the $1,100 commission that I took and one month's rent and split it with the house and all that. Like I was so excited for that one check because I knew what it took to get it. Like that's what's important to never forget. Yeah, and it's interesting because that also carries, I can see, you know, obviously content's a big part of what you do. You're a personality now more than just your profession. But one thing that I watch is the idea of value, right? I think of people as appreciators, meaning you're grateful for what you have, but also you add value. And the best real estate agents aren't just doing the standard paperwork. Yeah, we're not monkeys. No, you're, you're, you're adding value, but you're also recognizing the value of the client and the value of how hard they worked, sure. for wh- whether it's a $100 million home or a $2 million apartment, whatever it is, I can see there's an empathy there. There's an understanding that I want to get you the most value for one of the biggest purchases you're gonna make in your life. Yeah, it's all about empathy. That's what I look for when I hire new agents, or empathy, enthusiasm, and energy. And empathy is number one. If you can't relate to a client, if you can't go through whatever they're going through, high or low with them, then they're never gonna trust you. They're never gonna have confidence in you. I kind of, you always bring it back to like doctors. You know, there's that like that moment where, you know, the doctors say that even if you think the patient's dead, right, you still do everything you possibly can to bring them back so that when you go out there and you see the family and they're looking at you and they're about to cry, you can say to them with all honesty that you did everything you could. Like you left nothing on the table. And you have to be able to do that when you talk to clients. Like I was two minutes late to coming up here because I'm in the car outside trying to do a deal. The seller's break even is four and a half million dollars. Our best offer we have on it right now is four. Plus they want everything under the sun because they know they can ask for it because it's a buyer's market and they know that they have all the power. And I'm talking to the seller and I'm just sort of like, listen, you can take the money close your hand and run and we'll make you that $500,000 some other time or it's up to you. Like, what do you want to do? We've done everything possible to bring you this one offer. So it's, it's up to you slash the gods now, you know, and that's a tough conversation to have with people because it's always the fear of the unknown. Like, but there could be that other person tomorrow. There couldn't be that other person. I don't know. Yeah. You know, and it's interesting because you have to manage expectations. Yes. Uh, Early in my life, when I made my first millions, it was by what I call manipulation. Overselling, back-end selling, and, and some of these things you may be aware of exist in the real estate market. Sure. And I was in the real estate market, and I decided to shift the paradigm of value, saying that I'm just gonna be of service. And along with that service was, here's number one, I've done everything I can, but two, here's from my experience, you know, how I evaluate this situation. Sure. And you can leverage my experience or not, but. I see a lot of real estate people and salespeople, because you're truly an expert at sales, that they're afraid of the truth. Yeah. How yeah. do you really, you know, and I can tell you're at peace at telling someone what you just told them today. Sure. Right? The truth is, you know, it's a buyer's market. You've lost your leverage, but I love the fact that you said, just because you're down today, you know, we'll Doesn't make- mean you're down tomorrow. No, of course not. Yeah, everyone thinks about everything as do or die today. And sometimes that's true when you have a bank riding down your neck, right? You have certain bills, but for the most part, it's, it's not. Like I've, I've sold apartments for clients and they've made millions of dollars. The next deal we do, they're gonna take it on the chin and it's like the world came to an end. And I'm like, but, but net, net it out. Yeah. You just, you've made two million bucks. 
instead of making three on two transactions. And it's so hard for them to see it that way, but you have to, like you said, set those expectations and see like the world view of everything to kind of take people back a moment, like teach people to breathe, right? Just like take a moment, take a step back. Everything's going to be okay. You're not going to die. Like we're not, we're not, like I'm not doing brain surgery. Yeah. You know, it's like, uh, sometimes you have to remind people of that. Like no matter what happens with this deal, you're probably going to live. Like you're probably still going to be here tomorrow and kind of find brevity in some like some funny moments in some of these situations and try to anticipate people's emotions. That's been a big part. And I, I wrote a book and it's a big part of that as well. You know, like the, you know, the stages of grief are identical to the stages of selling. And if you just know what they are, you can anticipate all of them so that someone's not mad at me. I just know they're in stage three, right? right? They're in stage three and they're going to go to stage four and I'm going to calm them down in stage five and I just have to get them to stage six. So it's not mad. They're not also excited because I know what's coming next and what comes next after excited is they start to have buyer's remorse, right? Then they start to feel like they got ripped off and this, that, the other, and then they're gonna get angry so I know they're going there. You can anticipate and set those expectations and those emotions for selling and for dating, you are in a much better place. Yeah, I, I read those seven things and the best, I, I've lost, over a hundred million dollars in real estate, right? At a golf course, a ski mountain, you know, not understanding leverage and that banks wouldn't necessarily always let me borrow just because I had equity. Right. It was a valuable lesson to start getting mentors. Yeah. But your stage is, is what I used uh, accumulation to buy my beach house in San Diego. I waited three years, found a couple, pocket listing. Yeah. You appreciate this. And I said to him, I want a 14 days closed cash because I knew what was going to happen is the wife, because they were already divorced, not getting along, yeah. she'd at 10 days back out. Yeah. Right? She would say, I don't want to do this because yeah, yeah. she was emotionally attached to it. Yeah. So I purposely had a strategy to make sure that he was man, I shouldn't say man enough, he was going to be confident enough to stand up to her and piss her off again. Yeah. So it would remind her why they're selling it. Yeah. And it, exactly, it my works. wife thought I was a genius, right? Yes. And it just comes from a bunch of dummy tax that I paid. Um, in your job though, in, in selling, yeah. what? Trust and like in real estate, it, you know, it's sometimes overused in selling. You got to get people. I believe it's very simple. What you do really well is you connect emotionally to people. Yes. People buy on emotion for logical reasons. No more than any other place than real estate. Because yeah. the most emotional purpose. What do you do to emotionally connect to your clients? Uh, it's all about finding that one little thing you have in common, especially at the beginning. Because you have to remember too that clients aren't clients, just the same way your best friend wasn't your best friend initially, right? Everyone, no matter when you met them, was at one point in time a stranger. Like when you realize that, then, then one, you can go up and talk to people on the street a lot easier. You can walk into parties and talk to random people without having that weird anxiety because you remember, oh wait, my best friend Caleb at home, he was a stranger that first time I met him. And that <laughs> probably was weird, but we had that one thing in common. What was it? Oh, it was real estate and we both liked Homeland or whatever it was, right. right? So you're finding that one little thing in common so that you're not focusing on the sell because when you focus on something too much, a watched pot never boils, right? So you're not focusing on the sale, you're focusing them just on two human beings. What do we have in common? Maybe it's sports, maybe it's cars, right? Maybe it's, I don't know, maybe it's food. You find right. something you have in common and you let that conversation kind of happen between the two of you. And that immediately, that eye contact, kind of the smiling, the fact that you like something that I like and we're two random people among seven billion in the whole world. Holy shit, maybe we could be friends. Everybody wants to go shopping with friends. Everyone hates to be sold. And so that's how you build that initial trust 
And that's the same thing with- Say I, that one more time, because that's a very valid. Everybody- Yeah, yeah well, it's, no one likes to be sold. Everyone loves to go shopping with friends. Everyone likes to go shopping with friends. Yeah. That's a beautiful Always. line. That's, a, that's gold right there. Yeah. And the same goes for dating, right? Like it's, yeah. it's, it's amazing to me how it's all the same. Like I tell new salespeople who are single, right? Who are single and they're like, ah, what's, what could I do? I could say, okay, you do this, this, this. Also, go on Tinder, go online, go on as many dates as you can, right? And the ones that don't work out, you follow up and get feedback. Get feedback, see what you're like in a cold open. See what you're like at the bar. Maybe you're really weird and you just don't know it. Maybe you say <laughs> the stupidest shit and you just don't know it. That's really important. And you should know it. The way you act on a first date with someone you just met online <laughs> is the way you act with a first client, the way you probably met them online, through a showing request or at an open house. And if you're awkward, you need to figure that out now in a safe environment where that's not gonna cost you money. Um, and it goes a long way. Yeah, and I think surrounding as you are building your brand and you know utilize as an expert and as a personality, yeah. you get it out of a situation where people like you and I actually are bred on no, right? I have a saying, I can change someone's idea of no by just telling them you're only 25 no's about away from getting from what you want. So sure. I started thinking in my mind, oh good, I'm stoked. I just got my fifth no, because I know I'm only so many no's from getting what I want. Sure. How do you teach, because that's the emotional rejection side yeah, yeah. for your salespeople, how do you teach them to deal with no? Ask the same question they just asked again like they never heard it before. Like it's, you know, people only say no because people don't like commitment, you know? And sometimes they really mean it and that's fine. Like yeah. they're not gonna win everybody, but for the most part, people don't commit to something and they say the word no because they just don't like commitment. Like naturally, we don't, Human beings, we don't like it. We like to keep our options open. Like, I don't, I don't want to commit to you right now because I could find something better on Amazon. Yeah. Like, I don't want to commit to you right now because I, uh, I don't even know why. It's just easier to say no. Like, it's always much easier not to do something than it is to do something. And so it's, it's also about presenting new ways of value and showing them different ways to look at something. So the same way I just talked to you about, you know, that client who don't worry about the half a million now. Let's think about the next deal because you are buying something else and you're gonna do this and Jeez. do that. It's a different way for them to say, oh, maybe I'm not really taking a loss. Maybe it is four million in my pocket today that opens me up for future opportunities and the person I'm really working for is future Ryan, not Ryan right now who's losing half a million dollars. Right. And then it's not a no, right? Then it's a sort of, which will eventually turn into a yes. And you lock yourself in for future clients, yeah. future commissions yeah. by aligning that vision to Yeah, them. always. Yeah. I, mean, I came to the city and I think one of my biggest, uh, in retrospect, it was a, a benefit to me in sales is I came to New York to be an actor and I spent two years here. I had some money saved up because my grandfather died and I had my roofing money, right? <laughs> and I was like, I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna be able to live here for 10 years, which wasn't true. Um, and I tried to be an actor. Like there is nothing unlike personal rejection to your face when you're trying to be an actor in New York City. Right. And it's legitimately, be, it's because of your Best face. sales training. Right, it's because of your face. But you're a hand model, so you got away with Yeah, it. well, because I wasn't a good enough model. So <laughs> that's like what my brothers always said to me. They were like, dude, because you're just, you're not good enough as a model, they had to only take photos of your hands. <laughs> and so it's to your face. Like no one has ever told me, I'm not gonna buy that apartment because of your face. Like that's, that's what helped me in those initial couple years in the sales business of getting around the rejection and the objections. It was never personal about like my appearance. It yeah. was never like personal to the core. And that's, that's super helpful. It's super interesting because, you know, as a former sports agent, 
you know, working for Lee, the clients always wanted to go into the negotiation. And, sure. they, and I had to explain to them that you don't, you don't want to hear what they're you saying. You don't want to hear. Because, <laughs> I mean, how do you play for, how do you play for a team when through negotiations, all they're doing is pointing out yeah. all your weaknesses. Yeah, exactly. Right? Instead of, of course, they're not going to point out all the things they love about you. Yeah. You know, they're trying to get you as cheap as possible. Now, I have a philosophy I want to get your feedback on. I, I believe in the three no's. I believe if you're not ready to walk, you're not ready to sell. Sure. Right? And I believe in pure value, providing, being able to articulate at least five times the value of anything I'm selling so I can have that confidence. But I also believe in the, th the energy of three no's, meaning that in circumstantial sales, okay. that any time that the universe tells me no, so something happens, the car breaks down, the guy doesn't show up. Oh, okay. On the third time, what I say is, hey, look, I really have to spend my time with the clients that you know, this is working for or something, and then sure. tell them, I just can't you know, pursue this any longer. If you would like to move forward, I'm more than happy, so please let me know. After that third universal no, so sometimes it's just uh, an excuse or whatever. It could, sure. it could be legitimate, but I believe, and what's ironic is when I took on this philosophy, 50% of the people that I tell this to close or do what I want, and the other 50% I never hear from again, Weird. which means I just saved a ton of money chasing something I never was going to get. It's out of time. Do you have any tricks or philosophies that are similar to that? Uh, unfortunately, no. Maybe I'll steal that one. Good, please. No, that's, <laughs> that's a huge compliment. Yeah. Right? Maybe I'll steal that one. I, you know, I get, we have to like, listen, you play hard to get, right? You take deals away from people all the time. Um, you know, you, there's different ways to talk to people about the psychology of, of getting certain deals done, but I don't really have any like tricks that way. Maybe I should come up with some. Or philosophies. Yeah. We have some great advice. Um, now, there is a transition that's happened from being, you know, someone who's in real estate to a personality in real estate. Sure. And even coming in here, you know, we walked in and some of the executives downstairs were like, hey, how do I you're, know you? Yeah. Right? yeah, you're that real estate guy. Yeah. yeah that how, works for me. How, yeah, cool. How do you, how do you reconcile the brand uh, with your, your, cause you still have a job to do. You, you still yeah. sell real estate, right? Yeah, all day. Yeah, so, you know, how do you reconcile that brand or utilize the brand to help with what you actually, you know, profit from? Um, I make sure that the brand is synonymous with where my income comes from. Okay. So the brand, no matter what I do, people know me as a real estate broker or they associate me with real estate in some way, shape or form. Whether I'm, you know, mentoring high school kids or I'm running around with my wife or I'm teaching other people how to sell, at the end of the day, that brand image is sales and is real estate. So that way too with my clients who will say to me, like, hey, should I hire you? Because you seem really, really busy. You're doing this book, you have two TV shows, you've got this vlog now on YouTube, like you're doing awesome all this other vlog. stuff. Do you have time for me? Like, absolutely I do. Like I do all of this stuff for you so that more people have exposure to me, my brand, and my brand is your listing. That's right? awesome. And I think that's, so far that's worked relatively well. All right, so the market's going down. It's yeah. the buyer's market. Yeah. So, I own an office building. Okay. Profitable. Okay. Uh, I know the market's going to go down, especially where I'm at. Now, would you sell, even though when you know a market is going to go down, and I know I'm going to lose the equity, would you sell and, and wait and buy a new office building, or is it better just to sit on it and, and let the market play out? And that could be for anything. It, it totally depends, right? One, it depends if on I cash flow. If I believe the market's going down. Yeah, well, I mean, cash flow is what will kill you. So if it's yeah. profitable now, and it can be profitable or at least keep yourself afloat in a down market, 
and you don't need to sell it yeah. and you have nowhere to go, then I'm always a fan of holding. Like that's the greatest part about real estate, especially in the United States where you have freedom of title. Yeah. Like the government's not gonna come and take your property, right? Unless you own money. Yeah. Um, there are other countries in the world where that's not true and that's a different story. But it is, if you can hold and you can cover your, your payments, it's a great country to own property in. But if you are looking to do something else and you're looking to maximize, you know, saying that, well, I'm not going to sell now because the market is going down. That's like saying, well, I'm not going to buy a convertible now because it's going to rain this weekend. Right? right. Like, okay. Well, if you need to sell for something specific that is super timely, then maybe you're right. Maybe it is going to rain this weekend. Yeah. But if you're looking to sell to do something better with your overall life, let's look at the big world. Sometimes it rains. Sometimes it's sunny. Right. But the best time to buy something is when it's rainy. So maybe you do sell now and then take advantage of the rainy market that's upcoming to get a better deal. That's awesome. La- last question. Coming from a guy who keeps his options open, has really experienced the unraveling of life yeah. and really, I think, enjoys the process of the unraveling. Where do you see your life and your legacy unraveling uh, in the future? Oh, man, maybe get my own podcast. I don't yeah, know. I'll help you with yeah, it. Sure. <laughs> It'd be um, great. No, listen, man, I'm addicted to chaos. Like I yes, anyone on my team and they say that like I, I, I love creating chaos and then figuring out how to control it. Like that's the only way that I'm happy. Like just that adrenaline rush. Like I can't just wake up and go to work. Um, and so I think that I don't own my own company yet. You know, I have a small media company that does stuff for me, basically. And so I think owning my own thing is, is the next step. Right. It's just because I am my own boss now, but a thousand percent being my own boss is probably the next step. I think you'll be a great boss of yourself as well. So let me be a part of it when you decide to do All that. Right, we'll do. You, you are a shining star and you have beautiful hands, by the way. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, all right. We got Ryan Serhant with Dave Meltzer, Entrepreneur, The Playbook. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of The Playbook as much as me. On a personal note, I just wanted to thank everyone for making The Playbook such a success. Don't forget to continue it by sharing, subscribing, and listening to your favorite episodes. This is Dave Meltzer with The Playbook.